0: Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome back to California Real Estate Practice, Real Estate 310. This happens to be show number 30, so we're uh, moving along here fairly quickly. We only have a couple more shows left after this, show 31 and 32, and then we'll be finished. Um, What we're going to be talking about today is something called real estate assistance and the reason why this happens to be a topic that's discussed in in many textbooks and in your textbook is for I guess you could say for two reasons one is is that you may very well uh, be a real estate agent that gets to a point someday in your career in which you find that you're so busy doing all sorts of things like paperwork getting ready for open houses printing flyers making appointments for clients that you have no time you know no, you have no time to do anything else and you get to a point where your business can't grow it can't get any larger because you're so weighed down in the day-to-day activities that you have to do such as maybe putting things in the multiple listing system or just getting ready to have an open house on a weekend so what you may find this is that you may have a need where you'll say you know if i want to grow a business or grow my business or get it any larger what I'm going to have to do is is hire somebody and uh, and today we have a lot of these larger agents uh, big-hitting agents people that are doing 15-20 million dollars a year on up what they're doing is they're hiring real estate assistants to do that on the other side of the coin is is that you might be somebody that wants to enter the real estate field and you may decide I want to do this I kind of don't want to do it on a full-time basis or if you will on a commission basis I may may very well want to do it say on a part-time basis and what's really kind of important is that when you do this you're bringing a set of skills to the table. As an example one of the things that I want to mention that some of the younger people especially have today is that you're very very adept at use at the use of computers and you may find out that you can work with a real estate agent that sells twenty thirty million dollars in real estate and is not necessarily very good at, at maintaining websites doing all the electronic forms or in some cases even cares or wants to do that. So you could possibly be working for them on a part-time basis, or you may even decide that you may want to work for two or three different agents performing those types of functions, such as putting things in the multiple listing system, ordering um, property profile packages from the title company, uh, getting loan documents together, doing those kinds of functions. And uh, some of these people that do this real estate, assisting also will take the time to do things like get a notary license so that if necessary they can notarize uh, documents for their client and in some cases some people are actually kind of trying to work and build some form of a practice out of this besides just real estate assistance they're becoming a notary and then there are a number of courses that one can take specifically through uh, places like the learning Learning Exchange here in Sacramento that uh, where you take a class to learn to be a, a document signer, a person that signs people up for, um, for things like loans. In other words, where somebody has to go out, explain the documents, notarize the documents, and send them back to the lender. And the reason why this is becoming more and more uh, kind of coming into the fore is because a number of the lenders are doing business over the Internet from another distance. They don't have a local presence and they need somebody to represent them. So again, uh, that's another area that people may start to clobber together or or stick together some other different types of skills to make this assistant kind of work for them. Uh, anyway, as a, so what we're going to do is just talk a little bit about this. And uh, I, I kind of w- would say that, again, when you read this portion of the chapter, you're basically going to see that they're going to be talking about the fact that most real estate agents really start, especially ones that are successful, really, really start to realize very, very quickly that there's, while just showing people property, that's fine, but there's a lot of detail-type stuff that needs to be done, and that if they are a very successful agent, their time is better spent out in the field looking for property for their clients and showing their clients' property and listing property for sale not sitting there and using Microsoft Word or Microsoft Publisher trying to create a home flyer or taking photographs of a property. That's not their time best spent. That's why they start to need real estate assistance. The nice thing about this is that you have a way that you can sort of maybe do something that will allow you to work with somebody that's a fairly top producer and sort of very slowly work yourself into the business Uh, 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 slowly without having to go into it and say, God, if I don't sell something within the first three or four months, I'm dead in the water and I'm out of the business. So you kind of want to think about it like that. But again, getting several sets of skills are really important. They do mention um, here on some of the things, and then I'll talk about these, that what does a real estate assistant do? Uh, They talk about the fact that they're kind of like an extension of uh, successful real estate agents. What I have found when I sold my house a couple of years ago, the gentleman that I used, his name is Carrie Lane, a very, very successful real estate agent for REMAX in El Dorado County. His real estate assistant, believe it or not, you may not believe this, but she happened to be a lady that was a lot older than he was, and she happened to have been a real estate broker. She was somebody that had decided that, you know, wanted to retire, then said, you know, I'm getting tired of laying around and maybe playing golf once in a while. I want to go back to work. She wanted to do it on a part-time basis. And I know at the time there was so much work she ended up going doing it full-time. But the point is, is that it's, you know, you'll see people that maybe just have a sales license, maybe don't have a license, or maybe they're a broker. It depends upon where they are in their career. And usually these are people that are, again, fairly adept at streamlining uh, the documentation, the paperwork system, the filing systems, things like this that help the agent just move on down the road. Get, because the agent is really making their money when they're sitting in front of, face to face with a client, showing property, taking, making purchase offers, listing property. That's where the money's made. Again, putting stuff into the computer system, you know, is not where they're making the highest amount or bang for their dollar. They give you a list of some things here that the uh, that the assistants may do uh... several of the things uh, and again i'll talk about whether you should be licensed or unlicensed, which is a critical factor you you definitely, want to, you definitely want to take into account you don't want to cross that line but you may be doing things like we talked a lot about maintaining files as you well know there's a lot of files that had to be maintained so that could be something taking care of incoming phone calls that are coming from listings from clients uh... i think when uh... Carrie lane was in here and talking to us he said it is not uncommon If you actually sit there and think about it, if you've got, say, four or five properties listed for sale, you're working with a few buyers, you take a look at the fact that you're communicating with the real estate, uh, the escrow companies, the title companies, the mortgage companies, the appraisers, the home inspectors. He said it's not uncommon for you to have maybe 150 to 200 different contacts you're doing just on a weekly basis if you really think about it. So taking some of that load away is important. If you are licensed, soliciting and making listing appointments, Uh, so you could be doing follow-up on that, preparing documents, updating client records, writing correspondence, communicating with clients, pulling in, preparing uh, um, comparative market analysis for the agent, uh, getting the data together, maintaining the company websites or their websites. Let me mention here for a minute on these website things. One of the things that I really find interesting is is that a lot of agents turned around and created websites, and I can tell when I look at them, uh, some of them where they just more or less used kind of like a Can program, and they created a website and they created a presence. The problem is, I find in a lot of cases, to be quite truthful with you, they don't maintain them. And I can tell that because I use their email (laughs) address. I've done this with appraisers, home inspectors and real estate agents where I've gone ahead and tried to communicate with them through their website using their email address, come to find out they don't check their email, okay? or maybe the link is not working anymore. So somebody needs to maintain that for them, get the listings up, get the virtual chores, show the properties, all that kind of stuff. And especially if you're dealing with a lot of email with people for example, looking at your website and you're promoting it really well, and they're starting to send email to you and saying, I want to make an appointment or I'd like to get some additional information, you need somebody that's just going to kind of maintain and keep that flow of communication going. Very important. Some of the other things is input your listings into the multiple listing systems. Uh, monitor the listings You know, from the do- day that it goes on the market. You know, I mean, monitoring what's going on, what brokers and agents are looking at it, Uh, It's not uncommon, for example, to say I'm, um, you know, Carrie Lane's uh, assistant. I'm calling to find out, uh, you know, know, uh, I understand Joe Smith was by yesterday. Do you have their card? You know, contacting Joe Smith, who happens to be a broker, find out what was going on with the clients like the property. All that kind of stuff is important. Doing things like creating newsletters, brochures, and direct mail. And then again, too, if you happen to be a licensed uh, agent, will then allow you to do things like maybe pass flyers out, help set up the homes, maybe actually open or hold open houses for the broker or the top producer. A lot of the agents nowadays have got a lot of listings and clients are still pestering the heck out of them, saying why you're not holding my house open this weekend. So if you're able and you're licensed as a salesperson, you could actually be sitting and holding the house open and meeting clients too. Uh, Meeting with appraisers, home inspectors, this takes a lot of time for a real estate agent, so having somebody to do that is important. Prospect for new sellers, assist in open houses, and create database for management. In other words, keeping track of all the clients, all the contacts, putting together mailing lists, things like that, very important. I will say that if you're going to do this, in my own personal opinion, again, this is my opinion, that you really do need to consider the fact that it's probably better, in my opinion, for you to go ahead and get your license. And the reason why I say that it's better for you to get your license is because you really don't want to be in that situation where you're doing something and accidentally cross that famous invisible line where you're doing something that now all of a sudden requires a sales license. And a simple example of that would be that you're working with a broker or a sales agent that's a top producer, they tell you that, uh, that they're going to have an open house on a Saturday. You say, okay, fine, I'll meet you out there. You get there. They give you a phone call about 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. This is just a, a situation. And they tell you, listen, I had a flat tire. The car broke down. I had an accident or something. Could you go ahead and just start holding, getting the doors open? I'll be there in a little while. And before you know it, people are walking in, clients, and you start, doing things like maybe looking stuff up for them on the multiple listing system and not even thinking about it and before you know it you magically cross that line. I think in a lot of cases what you should be doing is just get your license so you don't have to worry about doing something that the that the department of real estate is just going to get you know is going to pull your you know is going to get you and the agent in trouble. I think if you're licensed then you should be okay. Um, Anyway, um, again, they go down why you should become an assistant. There could be a lot of different reasons why. Uh, you know, you may be the type of individual, for example, that may be very, very good at working with books, getting things organized, uh, keeping things straight. And uh, you may find out that it takes a while for you to get used to the fact of dealing with clients on a regular basis. You know, you might be shy whatever and you may find out this is an easier way for you to get into the business the other thing I want to mention too is is that there are a lot more if you look at the Sunday uh, newspaper you look at some of the really good magazines that are put out you'll notice that there are a lot of agents when you start to look at them that they have teams of people having one individual I think it probably started at one time where maybe you had a husband and a wife and maybe it was the husband that was really good at keeping track of all the details and the records and the wife happened to be somebody that was really good at going out and meeting people and getting listings and showing open houses and they complemented each other and they formed a team now you'll see teams a lot of these agents will have people on the team that will be assistants, people that will actually be uh, maybe working with buyers other people working with sellers so you start to see it's not one agent anymore. If you start re- really looking very closely, this team may consist of two, three, four, five, eight, nine, ten people, all together, which will be a combination of agents and assistants all working. So that's the that's the other thing. Uh, also helps if uh, you know uh, just gaining more experience in the field. I, I cannot overemphasize enough that you know real estate happens to be a field in which it's easy to get in. You get a real estate license. You can go out and practice, but you're choosing a field that has got a lot of complexity to it. And it may take time for you to more or less apprenticeship underneath the guidance of somebody else and do those tasks that you know how to do, and then start continuing to learn the business. I think that's a good way to get into the business on a solid footing. Okay. Uh, again, they talk about in, this, uh, in, the, in the pages of the uh, book, they talk about something called mentoring. Uh, that's another thing too is if you are working as a real estate assistant with these firms having somebody that is a mentor and a mentor to me is somebody that helps guide your career somebody you can sit down with somebody you can feel comfortable with somebody you can ask questions of and can kind of really give you the stuff that you need to know that's not written in the books in other words, once you finish taking all of these academic courses, that's fine. You pass an exam and you have some sort of a license. But there's a lot of stuff that you you really need to have that help and guidance of a mentor that'll kind of let you know, help you read clients, help you understand what's going on, understand how the business actually does operate, and have somebody like that that can help mentor you or guide you. I think it's an incredible, it's absolutely incredible to do that, and that's what's. Uh, assistants can do if they're helping and bringing to bear their skill set with and combining that with the skill set of an agent that may not be a very good or very well organized person. You know, sometimes it's very difficult to get both mindsets to work together. You know, sometimes you'll find somebody that's very outgoing. Uh, You see, in fact, to be quite truthful with you, one of the characteristics I've noticed of any top managers Uh, people that are very, very successful, you know, you can look at the Donald Trumps, you can look at all these different people, is they're not necessarily really detailed-oriented people. They're big-picture people. If you ask them to keep track of things, uh, they would fall on their face. (laughs) They're not necessarily interested in that at that point in time. And and, And I see that here, even with our administrators at the college or at a hospital or at a business, you need to have those assistants which help keep the 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 main manager on track if you will keep them going very very important person and it's a good way to get into the to the system Um, you know it's types of finances I'm just gonna kinda talk about this I'm not sure exactly uh, exactly how this works but you're gonna find out that some of these assistants are paid in different ways some of them may very well be on what we would consider a salary so what will happen is that the broker will say, "I need somebody to come in, either full or part time." These are the de- and, and what they'll want to do. You'll want to do with the agent or the you know the broker, whoever you're working for. You're going to want to specifically identify what duties and responsibilities you're going to do because you're going to want to have it like almost like a to do list. And what you're going to do is then you're going to you know one of the ways that they can compensate you is to pay you a salary. That could be one way. They could, I've seen relationships where they pay you a salary and they pay you some portion of the commission that they earn because the more successful you help them become, the more successful they are, the more money they make, and therefore they'll help compensate you back that way. Uh, and then possibly once you're working with them, if you happen to be an agent that wants to come along, in other words, wants to, if you will, uh, someday have your own uh, uh, business if you will your own in other words be your own have your own clientele you may find out that you may gradually work into the business where maybe if uh, you're helping the agent you're holding open houses and then if you have a client that you meet at the open house that might be where hey I'm getting paid for through the agent and I'm also have the opportunity to take if I meet somebody and can form this relationship and, and help them find a house, that's another way that I can get compensated. So, again, more creativity is a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, they talk here about when does, uh, there, in fact, there are even training classes now through the National Association of Realtors about, you know, about, uh, uh, about uh, assistance right now. It says, when does an agent need an assistant? And uh, i just read this to make sure everybody gets it. It says, the more successful an agent becomes, the less time he or she has to spend with buyers and sellers, the more time an agent has to spend dealing one-on-one with clients, the more successful he or she is. Again, an agent's going to make their money if they're able to go out and show a lot of houses all week long and list a lot of houses all week long. They're not going to make that much money by opening up the door and waiting for the bug or the termite guy to show up. Or the home inspector, and I can give you a list of the tremendous amount of things that you as an agent are gonna do that have nothing to do with buyers or sellers. You know, I mean, just, you know, meeting the roofing inspector, meeting the termite guy, meeting the appraiser, all those things, okay? So that's time, not face to face with clients. Unfortunately, the business of an agent generates is directly proportionate to the amount of busy work he or she generates. So, in other words, the more listings you have, you know, if you have one listing, you have one client to get back with you know we're all we all know that we should be communicating with that client on a weekly basis we should be telling them what, what's going on in the market at least have a, a courtesy phone call you know what's happening you know listen you know this and 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 when you add to that some of the, a lot of times for example um, the agent will call you and then if somebody's come through the house and taken a look at the house what will happen is is that other agent may call that your agent back uh, I have seen one of the things that you're usually going to want to do if you are have a house listed for sale is that all the brokers and agents that come through the house are going to leave their business card. And one of the things that you're going to find out that good agents, now I don't mean bad agents, good agents do, is that they'll ask the homeowner to collect those cards. And like, for example, when I was selling a house, you know, you call up, your agent and say, listen, I had five cards today. These were the agents that were through. You give them the name and the phone number, and what the agent does is he calls the other agents that came through the house, and he does a couple things. He'll say, for example, hey, did the people like or not like the house? Is, are they interested in it? And, and what that helps, it also helps in narrowing the focus of the marketing effort. So when you add that and that's just one house... <laughs> If you add four, five, six houses to that, you've got a lot of activity just trying to keep in contact with your clients, not considering the bug guys or anything else. So that's the concept, getting, getting that responsibility. And I think also, too, is to get, uh, I think the good agents are doing things like getting their assistant involved in the beginning, in the initial presentation saying, by the way, I work, my assistant's name is Jane. Jane helps me on a daily basis. She's going to be working with you. She, will, for example, agent that I know, Carrie Lane, his his assistant was the one that held the open houses or open house when the real estate agents came through. She did that. She came by and did that. Okay. So in other words, if you integrate the assistant in the beginning, then there's an expectation that that person will be calling, contacting you, and whatever. And it doesn't. It's not something weird. You know, like wait a minute. I hired Pat Hogarty. How come he's not calling? How come this other person's calling? So you let them know who it is in the beginning. Uh, again, delegation of the duties and the, uh, of the job. Another thing, just being able for the agent to delegate that out, to delegate and say, please take care of this. Very, very important. Very important to, to do that. Um, okay. They talk down here about uh, this is just talking about getting the job. Uh, You know, there's a number of ways that you could look at doing this. Uh, If you if this was something that you were interested in, uh, that's part of why I had always mentioned that, like for example, in my uh, real estate principles class about going through or going by real estate offices and talking to somebody and finding out what it's like to be a real estate agent. In the real estate practice class, you guys have done a business plan, so hopefully if you've done that well, you've identified some companies in the community and agents maybe that are doing well. If this is something that interests you, then you would put together a resume and go by and talk to them and say, listen, I want to enter the field. I'm not in a position, for example, to maybe, uh, you know, work strictly on commission right now, but I do have a skill set. I do know this, and I also know this. You know, I have a real estate license. I took these courses but I also know how to maintain a website, I know how to keep files up to date, I'm very good and thorough on follow-up, i on blah, blah, blah. You know, you can go through and do that. In other words, that can be a way that you can can assist yourself. And again, I, I don't see anything wrong with maybe even talking about doing working for more than one agent, as long as those two agents don't feel there's a conflict of interest, you know. But anyway, it says once you decided to become a real estate assistant, so you'll have uh, have to find the right brokerage or the agent for you. As we discussed earlier, your long-range goals and reasons for pursuing a career as an assistant should dictate when you, <clears throat> where you intend to work. That's why I really specified specifying geographic area, what area you want to work. You know, not to turn around and say, "Oh, I live in South Sacramento, but I'm going to work in Roseville." Well, if you, if you want to work in Roseville, then look in Roseville, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, before you're faced with the option of accepting a, uh, or declining a job, okay? And then down here, they just talk about what you want to do, what you want to put in your resume, which is, uh, I think is uh, you know, very, very important topics. Uh, one of the things that I find is that uh, you know, there's a lot of books, a lot of materials on how to prepare a resume. I've gone on both sides of the table. I've been on the side where I've sat down and tried to figure out how to do it, you know, and spent a lot of time uh, working on it. Uh, And guess what I did? I went down and I looked at all the books that they had at Barnes & Noble and and Borders books, and I went through and I followed exactly what they said to do. And You know what? It works. (laughs) I've also been on the other end of it where I've had to read resumes coming in. And it's amazing how many people never read the book. You know, they just don't I don't know why you know they send in a package that's huge, or you can't read it, or it, it's just not well detailed, but putting together a resume, letting people know that you do this. Another thing you could look at too, just as a thought, is maybe the possibility of you providing that as a service to somebody, you know, starting with something that you know how to do. you know there's a lot of this stuff uh, I can remember years ago, where there used to be people that would provide secretarial service to small businesses. Uh, I had used them to do things like typing and stuff like that well now you can have that service if it's specific to an industry that will maintain that again uh, having uh, you know and having all the tools that go with it the notary you know the ability to sign up loan documents and also to be able to hold open houses do all that kind of stuff really important task I think very important task anyway this just talks about your resume some of the things that you you want to consider um, you know, people's skills, of course, are important Education, real estate background Okay, and I think Anytime you're looking at a job like this You want to take a look at the skills that you bring to the table Very, very important You know, why, what what is it that you bring You know, a lot of times people I say to people You know, take a look at your background Take a look at your history Where you've been What kind of knowledge that you have Don't take that knowledge and throw it away Try to figure out some way to capitalize it If you've been uh, in the administration area and you're very good at that, that's great. If you're very good at dealing with people, try to emphasize those skills. Don't just kind of throw them away. Uh, So they go through and they talk about that. Another thing that they point out here that I think is important is that when you get ready, these are some of the interview questions um, that you're probably going to be asked. And, you know, I think that one needs to be prepared if they're going to do this, to take the time because you're going to be asked this kind of question in this kind of a format. It may not be exactly this way, but it's going to be in some format like this. So you do need to do things like, you know, it says you should expect a variety of questions by a prospective employer. The following just as simple of those questions, you know, this would be the thing, you know, like uh... do you have a real estate license if you do have one that's fine if you don't why don't you have one you know why why didn't you spend the time to get one I at least have a decent answer for that you know why do you want to be an assistant what are your particular goals in other words if you're going to be an assistant now you know, are, are you planning on doing that for the rest of your entire life or are you looking at some way to kind of find a mentor and work your way into the business what are you trying to do uh, Another thing, too, here they ask nowadays, can you type? Uh, what kind of computer skills you have? Computer skills have gotten to be, in fact, it's gotten to be to the point now, this is so important, that, that this uh, next spring I'll be putting together and putting on for the first time within the district a class on how to use computers in real estate. And it's also a class that counts towards your broker's license. It's called Computer Applications in Real Estate. But the point is is that, In order for you to be in this business, you need to really know how to use Word, Excel, PowerPoint. I mean, you shouldn't leave home without that. You should be able to know how to use the Internet. And and like one of the programs we're going to use in that class is a program called Microsoft Publisher that allows you to do things like make flyers, brochures, uh, websites, business cards. You need to know how to do that stuff. So, you know, what kinds of computer applications do you know how to use today? Email, contact software, all that kind of stuff. And if you don't have those skills, you should be taking some classes here at the college and working on getting them. You need to have them; They're very, very important. Uh, some of the other things is where, uh, what were your responsibilities at your last job? What uh, about real estate business most interests you? You know, you should know. You know, are you interested in the sales business, the rental business, commercial business? What is it that you like? Hopefully, through the business plan, you've learned some of that. Uh, some of these are pretty. You'll see. What are your greatest strengths and weaknesses? Where do you want to be in five years? Uh, some of the other questions, some people will get kind of tired of doing things like escrow and title, but they'll ask, do you have escrow, escrow and title insurance background? You know, uh, Do you have mortgage banking background? In other words, do you have an area that will help me have some insight of what those requirements happen to be and handle them? Um, they will ask you, do you have a driver's license, a reliable car? What kind of organization skills do you have? How flexible do you want to work part-time, full-time? Uh, you know, what, what kind of hours that you basically want to work. Uh, let me see. Do you know anybody else in the real estate industry? Another thing that's gotten to be a very, very big topic, this is an example of a skill. This skill right here. Do you speak another language? Okay, do you speak another language? I think that that's very important. Now, it's kind of interesting that I find, I don't happen to speak another language. And I've always felt, you know, uh, you know, I can speak English pretty well, but I, I don't speak any other language. I think people that can speak more than one language, that's an extremely valuable asset, a very, very important valuable asset. And I think from the real estate perspective, I think, uh, and the other thing that I found which always amazed me is how many people, how many of my students don't speak just one, two languages. Some students, some of my students speak multiple especially if they're from an area where they have to, you know, they're from a country in which they have to communicate. Like, for example, if you get into Europe, there's places in Europe, and you cannot live unless you know how to speak probably some English, some Italian, some Spanish, some French, and some German, because you're right near all those borders. And it's amazed me how people can move in and out of those languages very easily. I think that probably the one thing that you would want to do is, if you do speak another language, is to make sure that you're able to explain the real estate stuff in that language. And I really didn't become that aware of that until we had somebody come in and during our internship class from the title insurance company. And what's happening now is a lot of the industry's uh, companies are, you know, there's a big recognition. They say, you know, listen, you know, we, we, you know, a lot, you know I think it's like 25% of our population or more in, in, in California, are from Mexico or some form of Spanish-speaking country. You know, whether that's South America or Central America, whatever, they're from another country. Well, there's been a lot of emphasis on developing a lot of materials for people that speak Spanish. But there have not been a lot of materials developed for people that speak other languages. I'm talking about Russian, German. Uh, you know, Vietnamese, Thai, all those other languages. They're not. And so I asked this person, I said, you know, why isn't, you know, why don't you have this stuff? And they said, well, here's what the problem is. <laughs> problem is we can get somebody that speaks Vietnamese. We can get somebody that speaks Thai. We can get somebody that speaks, you know, Russian. The problem is we also need that person to be able to have enough knowledge in real estate and title insurance to be able to explain what this means so in other words they have to understand the real estate and then understand how they can communicate what a grant deed is in say russian or german or spanish or, or, or french or thai or whatever it happens to be so again that if you do speak another language you kind of have to think about how you're going to explain that and that's the problem that's one of the problems why they're having a difficult time getting some you know the, getting somebody to interpret that because it, you know you sit down and they speak a normal language but they don't understand the real estate terms. So, you may, maybe really need to emphasize that. That's a very important, very, very important topic, if you will. Okay. Um, then they may ask you some other things about how to handle customers, irate customers. Uh, I don't quite ever understand why, uh, I can understand why a customer gets upset. But as I've gotten older, I don't quite understand, and I can handle them. But I don't quite understand why a customer thinks that they're going to get more by beating somebody over the head. You know, usually you can get people to do things by being nicer to them than you can, um, than you can being uh, not very, not being very nice to them. Okay. Um, some of the other things that they talk about in here is, uh, you know, the job offer. Is it going to be part time, full time, whatever? The interesting thing is, with whatever kind of a job you're going to do as an assistant, make sure that you have those duties uh, those uh, duties identified. Because you, what you don't want to do is be in a position where you're hired as a part-time person, 20 hours, and there's an expectation. See, there's a, <laughs> there's a difference. You come up with 20 hours because you believe the work you're going to do is going to take 20 hours. So you say, I will be in here Monday through Friday from 8 to 12. But... You know, if they say, oh, you're going to be here and continuously shovel more work on top of you, but your hours don't expand, that's usually what happens in many cases with a part-timer, especially in an administrative mode. They start doing something, and then before you know it, they were handling maybe, you know, I'll say 10 clients that week. Now they're handling 15. Now they handle 20. That may mean where that job has to grow. In other words, maybe they need to go from part-time to full-time you know, in order to make that job work. So you really do need to know about that and what that job job description is really going to be. Okay, so pretty much talked about that. We talked about full-time employee. You could also be what we, we commonly refer to as non on-call. Again, that could be where the agent has some sort of a need on some basis and needs to have you do some function, such as maybe go in and organize things, uh, you know during a certain uh, high demand period of time, you know in the spring or the summer, and not in the fall, or maybe you may have again where you may be working for more than one person okay i don 't see anything wrong with that. I mean a lot of agencies a lot of uh, a lot of companies hire temp people on a regular basis during periods of time to come in, get the job done, and move on to the next job and For some people that may be maybe just exactly what they want. Uh, the other thing that you want to do is to know whether you, as an employee, what are you going to be? Are you going to be an employee or an independent contractor? Uh, if you are an employee, what that essentially means that that person you're working for, depending upon how they're organized, may very well be in a situation where they're having to do things like do withholding for, for income taxes uh, they may have, have to be putting you under or providing workman's compensation or some other kinds of benefits. Okay, As an independent contractor, on the other hand, you're what we commonly refer to as a 1099 employee, it's like your own business. So you want to know what kind of relationship am I going to have, am I a- actually going to be a business, am I going to be an employee and treated like an employee, or am I going to be treated as an independent contractor? As an employee, there would be like an expectation you're going to be here from 8 to 12. As an independent contractor, it may be based on the amount of work. It may be like, okay, on a weekly basis, I want you to come in, put all my listings in the MLS. I want you to make all my flyers. I want you to update my website. I don't care whether that takes you five minutes or 20 hours. This is how much money you're going to get paid to do that. Okay, that's what we mean by the difference. Okay. This happens to be this form here. Happens to be, and again, we don't have necessarily the time to go over every single solitary detail, but this is what we would call the personal assistance contract. Again, this is a California Association of Realtors uh, document that you would be um, working with. I would highly recommend, like I would, any kind of a document that you would sign, whether it's a listing agreement or a buyer's purchase offers or a, or a lease agreement or a rental agreement or whatever it happens to be, to take the time to read it and understand what it is. Because what you don't want to do is find out you signed something, and then later on, now something comes up, and now you're going. And what happens is, is these contracts usually don't mean anything until something comes up, whether there's a disagreement. So again, this is up here where you're just putting this agreement as dated. What date it is? Who it's between? Who's going to be the assistant? Who's going to be the licensee? Uh, it's talking about uh, the associate licensee. Who this is? Is uh, it says the associate licensee is a real estate uh, is a California real estate licensee with. And then this is identifying in the beginning. Do you have a sales or a broker's license? Okay. significance of that is is that if you have a sales or a broker's license, then especially you're going to have to put that underneath their particular control. In other words, you, can't, you can have a sales license, but remember you can't do anything with it unless you're working for or under the control of a broker. So they want to know what that is. Um, this is talking about whether it's uh, your employer or an independent contractor. This is talking about specifically about what your duties and responsibilities are going to be in this particular capacity. And uh, any other kind of following activities that you're going to do, which could be anything. Anything that's going to be listed, again, when you read it. You know What are your duties and responsibilities going to be? This is your compensation. In other words, how are you going to be compensated for the work that you're basically doing? This is proprietary information. What we essentially mean by proprietary information is, that like anything else, you're working with a real estate salesperson. All of that stuff that you know about their clients is their stuff. That is confidential stuff. You don't say it to anybody else. You know, It's totally it's their stuff, okay, if you will. It's like anything else that you work if you're working you know, If you're a doctor working with a doctor, it's the patient. You don't disclose any of that stuff. It's their stuff this talks about errors in admissions insurance so you want to have a discussion about this if you are covered or not covered or what you're covered for or what they're covered for or what happens if you happen to do something that it's decided that you were the one that made the error are you or are you not covered okay Um, this is talking about automobile they want to know for example uh, you know what kinds of insurance you basically have on it the reason why again very very important is that you may be in a situation where you're, for whatever reason, you get stuck taking the clients around, or oh, you know, and we just don't think about those things. It's just like the last minute, you know, somebody says, "Could you?" The clients are at the office. Could you bring them by? And God forbid, but something happens. You drive over there, and there's an accident. Are you covered? Yes or no for that? Okay, very important. Okay, so you want to know that. Um, I don't know how. Let me see. I think this contract is not very big. Um. You also will find out, too, that there are companies that will also, besides this, maybe have their own contract. Uh, you know, I know, for example, Lion Realtors in Sacramento has a contract that their attorneys have gone over to make sure that everything is covered. Uh, this just talks about applicable, that you're going to follow the rules and the laws and demification. What's going to happen, again, if you have any kind of all these contracts and in the, uh, the last part of it, what happens if you don't get along? mediation, arbitration, disputes, whatever you're going to have. What happens when you terminate? Okay, in other words, when you leave, what's going to happen? And then uh, any other terms that you have, and then you're going to sign it down the bottom. Okay, so again, you want to read that. You don't want to, I would say, if you're going to do any kind of a thing like that, you're going to want to read it before you even... um, I would say you would want to read it before you'd ever even go to the interview, so you'd know even if they put something else in front of you, what you would expect to have happen. Uh, they do talk about uh, some of the files that you would maintain. Uh, they break them down into two different categories. Uh, they talk about examples of documents in shared uh, file. This is an example in the buyer's file. Uh, you're going to have, these are the things, and you're going to find out in a real estate office or an escrow office, they're going to be very, very uh, specific. They almost, they, not almost, they always have like a checklist. Not almost, it is a checklist. <laughs> in other words, you're going to have things, you know, it's right from the beginning of the transaction. You know, any other paper that you need, d- documentation, you're going to go in. For example, have you disclosed, has the seller signed the disclosure statements, you know, have the buyers signed the disclosure statements, you know, all, you know, all those kinds of things. All those things need to be kept track of, you know. Has, has the buyer received a copy of the preliminary title report? Has the buyer received a copy of the appraisal? Have I gotten a copy of the appraisal? All that stuff is going to have to be tracked. So anyway, these are examples of in a shared file. Uh, You know, a seller's listing information, listings, all disclosures, buyer information, purchaser agreement, escrow instructions, lockbox identification, all that stuff's in the file. These files can get to be fairly large. Uh, This is an example of documents in a buyer's file, address and phone numbers, email addresses, how to get a hold of them, contact them, cell phones, whatever. Uh, information on their present home, income, all this kind of information is very, very important to have on hand, okay? You never know, <laughs> okay? This is something that would go in the area of the seller's file. We talked about things like agency disclosure. Remember, we have to disclose that, you know what relationship we have. Uh, listing, uh, all these other agreements have to go in here, okay? So anyway, that talks about the documents that you have to have available, if you will, on a regular basis and keep track of them. Uh, Some of the other duties that you're going to have is things like keeping and assisting with appointments. Uh, You know, that might be where you're, you're, you're actually working, in a lot of cases, setting up calendars. Making sure that the broker is very productive, figuring out after a period of time what things it would be better for you to do versus what the broker does. You may find out that it's better, you know, that the broker maybe they attend a multiple listing meeting once a week, and maybe it might be where they have you attend one in another location, especially if you happen to be in an area where uh, you're selling on both sides of, say, a county line. Like, for example, maybe you sell properties in Roseville. And you maybe need to go to the Placer County Board of Realtors, and you're also selling properties in, uh, in the Orangeville area, and you need to go to the Sacramento Association of Realtors. Both of you need to do so you're abri- apprised of what's being sold in the area. So keeping track of that, the appointments, uh, keeping, uh, reminding people. in fact, one of the things that I realized and uh, not realized, but the uh, one thing that you know if you go to a dentist's office or a doctor's office, one of the things that you're going to notice That that person that sits at that front desk, the reason why they pay that person their real job when all is said and done is to keep that doctor busy, is to keep them employed. And if you think about it, the next time you go to the dentist or the doctor, especially dentists, you're going to find out that you may have an appointment for something. You're going to get a phone call at least a day or two beforehand to find out if you're still going to be coming in because they don't want any blank spaces. Any time that's lost in that schedule is lost for revenue. You know, if a dentist has an appointment to pull a tooth or clean teeth or do something from 11 to 12 and you don't show up, they just lost money. So what the idea that receptionist does besides scheduling your initial appointment is to call you back and say, listen, they don't say listen, they just say, by the way, hi, this is Jane or Pat or whatever. Did you receive the appointment card? I just want to remind you that you're coming in. And the, the thing is, is to get people to show up to fill the schedule. So as an assistant, you may very well be doing that. When people tell you, for example, you're going to find out in this real estate business that you'll talk to people, and what will happen is maybe you talk to them in January about listing a house for sale, and they say, you know what, we're thinking about selling the house. Maybe you've gone over there and done the comparative market analysis. What happens is they say, but you know, we really don't want to sell the house. We want to make it so that what we're going to do is sell it, and then we can move during the summer when the kids are out of school and then we'll all be settled in the new house. So why don't you call us back in March. Okay? So you may find out that you're going to have the assistant will take that and and keep that file going on a regular basis, call all those people up and say by the way, you know, uh, just calling to remind you that you spoke to Pat, you know, in January about listing your house for sale. Um, you know, we want to set up an appointment, or we want to do a comparative market analysis, or we want to do something. Keeping that ca- that calendar full all the time. Keeping that, a- you know, you're almost like being a slave driver to that real estate agent that you're actually working for. You're making sure that Monday they're busy, <laughs> Tuesday they're busy, Wednesday they're busy, they're busy all the time. And that's, that's, that's the important thing, keeping that calendar full. Otherwise, there's no revenue coming in the door. Uh, and, again, that can be something that some of these top producing agents need. They need somebody to keep them going in the right direction. So th- doing that uh, and staying in touch with uh, your agent's clients, uh, it's amazed me to be truthful with you. If, you have, if an agent has worked with a client, a buyer or a seller, you know, and that's been a successful relationship, you know, they've liked the services you've provided, it i think it really stands to reason it makes a lot of common sense that you keep in contact with them you know one way or another send them something send them an email do something to keep in contact with them it doesn't hurt especially if you're assistant to make a phone call you know maybe once or twice a year and just tell them you know did you receive the literature did you get the stuff how's the house going something to keep in contact because it's interesting you can talk to them for a few minutes and then it just doesn't hurt to ask that one magic question. By the way, do you know anybody that happens to be looking to buy or sell a house? You know, if you ask enough people, somebody may very well say, yes, I do, my brother's coming into town, and I'm glad you called. You know, could you put together, you know, some literature on buying, or, you know, buying a house? Keeping in contact with those people are very, very important. And people like dealing with people that have been, like, pre-screened for some reason. You know, they kind of like, uh, you know, at least we in in this country, tend to like to go back to, you know, we we were a little bit afraid of dealing with the unknown. I'm not saying everybody is, but a lot of us are. So what we kind of like to do is go to the dentist that we know that doesn't cause any pain. That's my big preference. We like to go to a restaurant where we feel that we're going to have a good experience, good food, we're not going to be dissatisfied. We like to buy a car that we think works well and be treated correctly and gets good gas mileage. And it just kind of stands to reason that if we're going to get a real estate loan, we want to go to the right person and feel comfortable. And if we're also going to be buying a house, we want to get with somebody that we know that somebody else has tried and it's worked out. So keeping that going is very important. It amazes me how many times agents, and I'll be honest with you, even very successful agents that I know, don't keep calling their people back. I've I've done business with a couple of people, over the years that sell a lot of real estate, but it's amazing how they don't call, you know, they're not, they don't have built into the system to call you back. And the reason why they're having that problem is not because I think they don't want to call back, it's because they're so busy, they don't have, they've gotten to the point that they've become a slave to their business. In other words, the way that they've handled more success, more productivity, is just by working more hours. So maybe in the past where they could get by with working 40 hours a week, now they work 70 or 80 hours a week you know, or 90 hours a week, you know, and what happens is, is the more the more success, then they start, they're not able to do some of those other things that they did in the beginning that helped them get clients, so having some, and mentoring somebody, bringing somebody along to help you, growing that business is very important, but staying in touch with clients, I think, is very important. Uh, the other thing, as I mentioned before, uh, I think that uh, technology today, suffice it to say, uh, you know, you know most people nowadays, especially with having the ability to log on to the Internet and having high-speed connections, I'm talking about most people now. I did a survey in my classes, and students that are taking real estate classes, students have probably, a lot of them have about, I think it was 75% of those people have access to or at their home a high-speed connection, a DSL or a cable modem which means that those people now have the ability to very easily cruise the Internet, look at virtual tours, do all that kind of stuff. And that's how people are doing their shopping. It's amazing how some people that you wouldn't think of it, understand and know of, heard of things like MetroList, Realtor.com. They've heard of those things. And they may not buy through there, but what they do is they start their initial search. And when you really think about it, we always when we get ready to buy anything usually if you like for example if you get a newspaper one of the things you're going to do if you're going to buy a car you're going to sell a car you're going to buy a house sell a house usually the first place you go is to the newspaper to at least get yourself start to be informed you know what a house is selling for in this area how much could i sell my car for what am i going to pay for a new car you know we always do that and that's where people are utilizing the internet and you'll see that even on tv Um, I was seeing, I'm trying to think of the commercial. I'll probably think about it when we're done. It had to do with something, but uh, I'll think about it probably after class. But what it was is that, you know, there's a a place, a store where you can buy the product, you know, but the internet, the internet, they're using the internet in the commercial to tell people, listen, if you want to find out more information about this thing that we're selling, go to this website. Okay. As an example, some of those websites that are doing that now, you can go out and look to buy a car. You go to GM website, Ford website, whatever. You go there, you pick out a car style. You hit a button. You pick out the color. You pick out you pick out all the amenities that you want. You get all done. You get printed out right in front of you a picture of the car you want with the costs and everything. You do that with computers. You can do that with everything. So if you look at the Internet sites now, they'll do things like say, like, where do you want to live? Put a zip code in. You put a zip code in, you can actually sit there and start accumulating those houses, make your own if you will, your own list. So maybe you're seeing four or 500 houses. You look at them, okay, I want that one, I want that one. <laughs> that one. You put them like in a queue and you can print them out. Okay, so there's a lot of that stuff that's available now. A lot of software for real estate, lots and lots of stuff. Uh, this happens to be a program, by the way, if you ever get a chance to look. This is a program that's put out that a lot of agents use. Uh, I'll see if I can zoom it up here. It's called, and you can get it, it's called Top Producer. Um, It's at www.topproducer.com, and what it is, is it's more or less a contact-based system that allows you to run your business and have all that kind of stuff that you need through this program. Okay, so uh, there's a number of agents that are using that now. Uh, Okay, just trying to think. We did talk... um, Uh, Another thing that a lot of people are using now technology-wise now, I'm just amazed, is is all the PDAs, the Blackberries, and everything. I mean everything is getting down to one device. What's ending up happening is we keep shrinking these devices down further and further and we can only go to a certain level because we get them to the point that we as a human can't interface with them anymore. We've seen that in the past where you can get a watch that has a calculator on it but the buttons get to be so small that we can't use it we need a pencil to play you know to use the calculator but the, the PDAs and the blackberries those are all contained you know there's the PDA with all your contact all your information my wife for example has a blackberry and uh, all of her email everything is on there she just sit there we were we traveled a couple of weeks ago at the airport and uh, what happens is she can just sit there and ch- uh, you know respond to her email check her email make phone call everything is right there in that one device that one device. And now you're talking more about people being able to do uh, not just text messaging but actually being able to send people things over their telephone. In other words being able to send them photographs of the homes, prices of the homes, do all that over the telephone. That's totally doable now. Uh, So technology is something you really need to know about. Uh, We did talk about notary public. Uh, If you ever want to know why this is a helpful thing to know how to do is because a lot of times people are put in a position where they have to take a no- have a lot of documents signed and notarized at a certain time, and it's usually some kind of an oddball time. Uh, in fact, a lot of, uh, of uh, title insurance companies and escrow companies that have people out of notaries will use these companies to do this because they need somebody to go out to the person's home or it's going to be done on, some, on the weekend or sometime at night or whatever. In fact, a lot of these companies now what they're doing is, uh, they have now as I was mentioning before document signers, and there's courses for that at uh, the Learning Exchange. But what's happening is is that these companies are faxing the stuff or delivering the stuff via UPS or Federal Express to your door. You take the package, go over to the client, explain the stuff, sign them all up, send it back, and then there's a fee that you're paid for for that, you know, for the notary fee or whatever. But knowing how to do that, I was just downtown the other day and noticed that. There was an attorney's office that had a little sign in the window that said notary. You know, they didn't put that there by accident. They put that there because they hoped that maybe somebody will see that and come in, and when they come in, they'll say, Oh, by the way, you know, we also do wills and trusts and you know, adoption law, or whatever they happen to do. So it's a way of getting people to, you know, again getting business. Okay. Okay. They talk a lot about a notary, but I don't think we need to basically do that. Qualifications are not difficult. There are a number of different classes. You just take them and uh, again uh again, the learning exchange happens to be uh, one that uh, one of those organizations that provides that and if you're ever interested in that, they have a website and also you can go to uh probably most coffee shops in town, like a Labo coffee shop and get a copy of their. Of their classes that they have, and at least be able to read a description and see what the particular class is about, what the fees are, and at least find out about it. Again, again, that's really kind of important uh, to do that. Even as an agent, you may find out that you want to do that. Uh, a couple other things they talk about in the end here um, is escrow coordinator. Um, Escrow coordinator, again, this is something that you may find out that when you're working as an agent, you may, uh, or you're working for an agent and they have a lot of transactions going on, you may find out that they need to have somebody that's going to be keeping on top of the escrow. The one thing you don't want to have happen is have the whole deal fall apart because some little stupid piece of paper didn't get there at the right time. And so having somebody that's, while the agent is out showing property, somebody that's tracking and making sure that you know, all of the, that, the, that the clients are getting in whatever information, documentation, funds, or whatever to the escrow is important, or following up with the escrow officer. Maybe the escrow officer says, you know, I've been trying to get a hold of them, and I can't, and you have a way of doing it and getting a hold of them. Okay, and I guess the bottom line is, is that what you're really looking for is just finding out and, and, and keeping track of all the details that need to go on in a business. I think that's very important uh, to do. And with that, that takes, we're ending now, show number 30. We have two more shows, and we'll see you back again for show 31 and 32. Thanks a lot for coming. See you back here the next time.